Farrell Ruska is the Director of Education and Culture at Choose Fitness and is a founding partner of the groundbreaking company Fit for Mom. In this episode, we talk about her journey into and through Fit for Mom, the process of redefining and recreating yourself professionally, and how to generate a powerful business culture that scales. People are going to gravitate towards a, an energy and environment where they feel not just accepted, but celebrated. When you can nail that, not just put it in a mission statement, not just put it on the walls of your corporate office, not just put it on your whatever email signature you have, but when you can figure that out and, and do it day in, day out for thousands and thousands and thousands of people, you're gonna be successful. I'm Fraser Quelch, and this is a TRX Procast, where we chat with the most iconic leaders in fitness to get the inside track on what it takes to thrive and succeed in the ever-changing landscape of business, training, and life. It was, it was an interesting place to grow up and, and a place that I feel super blessed to have been given that opportunity. I didn't do anything for it. I just have to be born there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was an environment that I think sometimes people think it's kind of trite in terms of the Aloha spirit, um, but it's, it's something that's palpable and real. And to be raised in a, in a space like that, where it was um, so inclusive, um, so kind of naturally raw, it was just a beautiful way to, to see the world. And it really did shape the way that I at least try to see the world still. So. Oh, so- I, I just believe that most people are inherently good and pure in heart. And it's the way that some are raised and, and circumstances and things like that. So I try not to, in, in tough situations, look at the human, but rather the scenario with which that human is striving to exist or, yeah, thrives. Right. So what kind of stuff were you into as you were you know, growing up in Hawaii? Which island was it? Oahu. Okay, so you're growing up there, and and like, what were you into? A lot of sports. I was in the water almost all the time, um, but I did do some land sports. I, I paddled outrigger canoes competitively and ran cross country. Did track, high jump, 300 meter hurdles. I did triathlons, marathons. I was just I was in go mode. It was you're play. Just going. Yeah, it was just play for me. So, what was it that first drew you into the fitness field? You know, I think that like a lot of us in the industry, we, we just have a propensity to working out and then for us, and I know for you too, it's, it's just, it's fun. It's like, it's like a playground for us. And so it was always part of my upbringing is always part of, you know, what I did. And so when I realized that I could have at least part of my persona or my identity looped into the fitness industry, I started to bring that in. So on the side, I'd teach classes or on the side, I'd be a personal trainer um, in this path that I thought was my career. And it wasn't until I got to a place where I started having babies that I realized I wanted to make this my career. So what was the path before you were doing fitness on the side? What was, what was the, what was your former life path? I actually worked in the world of marketing. Um, I was, um, sort of a a VP of operations in terms of getting projects to the finish line on Mm -hmm. time and on budget, but in that creative space. I wasn't the creative element necessarily, right. um, but I was the one that drove it. 
That's a tough group of people to drive. <laughs> the creative folks is like herding uh-huh. cats. I know, I know. Keeping on, on track, it's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so, you, so you start having babies. Yes. And then what? Well, I just realized that, you know, I, my first pregnancy, I was excited, but I was also terrified. Um, there were a lot of myths and misconceptions around what was okay, what was not okay. A lot of fear around if I do the wrong thing, will this, you know, hurt my growing baby? What were, what were some of those at, like at that time that, that you were contending yeah. with? There wasn't enough research. So it was basically the mindset was around less is more, you know, like don't move too much. Don't get your heart rate up uh, above 140 was the max that, that ACOG was telling everybody. Um, How old are your kids now? So my oldest is 20, Okay. so 20, 18, and 16. And, you know, guidelines have changed, and thankfully research has been done, but it was, I knew in my gut that it was not just okay to work out during pregnancy, but that it was probably really good for my growing baby. Mm-hmm. And so I just did as much as I could on my own to try to figure out what was the latest research and kind of push the boundaries a little bit and ended up really figuring out that there's this whole space of education and and also inspiration for new moms because they were looking at it as something that was scary versus really embracing the athlete that they were by growing another human. Right. So, so you you go through your first pregnancy. You're as active as you can be. You're doing a bunch of research mm-hmm. around it, probably finding conflicts between what the research is saying and what the guidelines were. Right. And so now, now you're there. You're you're a new mom. And, and so, but we're not, we're not to fit for mom yet. So no. tell me about like the transition from, from kind of that point where you're doing your own research, you're already fit, you're working out, mm-hmm. you're kind of doing that kind of things on a, as a sideline, like a, right. like a moonlight gig. Yeah. Um, well, I found myself in a, in a space of like, not really, I don't know, maybe understanding my own identity at this point. You know, I was, I was still in the, the kind of corporate world. I was now a new mom um, when my, first baby was um, 10 months old, we found ourselves pregnant again. Um, And so sort of like, oh my gosh. So, so then it was sort of like, well, now what? And I found myself with this stroller that I was, you know, pushing my child in day in, day out and and thinking, you know, I'm going on runs with this thing. I'm using it to do walking lunges. I'm, you know, I'm pulling it back in in a, in a row using my baby as resistance. I'm like, there's gotta be something to this. Mm-hmm. And so we were living in Colorado at the time, moved to San Diego, and I just thought I was going to start a stroller fitness company. Like, this has got to be something. Other moms have to need this as much as I do. Mm. Uh, and, and the fitness piece of it was front of mind. And I found uh, a company called Stroller Strides that had started maybe three or four months prior. Uh, and we just quickly started working together and really came to realize that as much as the fitness piece was super important, more important than that was connecting moms to other moms and doing it in a way that they were doing things that were helping their body together. Um, but that that connection was, was the most important part of it. And so let's roll back just a smidge because I think what you just said, it connects to what you said a moment ago when you said like you were, you, you know, you had your first baby, you were halfway in this corporate world, still identifying yourself with that mom. There's a there's a tension mm-hmm. between that and, and I know that um, you know it, in my experience, not being a mom but watching one, that that can be very very difficult. 
Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your kind of transition from just psychologically? What what are the challenges that you face? Because I'm willing to bet that lots of people listening will have, have be able to really identify with them. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, just here, just having you like describe it just the way that you did. My I had a visceral response. <laughs> my body started to get tense. I'm okay though. No, it was it. it it was a scary time, it, but it was also a time that I knew that that sort of the universe was giving me a way to transition. And, you know, becoming a mom, I found, to me, a much greater purpose with uh, what I was doing with my life versus what I was doing in the past. And I was very proud of the work that I had done in the past. Mm-hmm. But, you know, seeing this this human being and, and me being able to, in some way, form or fashion, influence the way that they see the world and, and that it starts with me, I thought, you know, there is no greater um, job than, you know, doing something that I can create a life, a work, a profession around being with them and also keeping myself healthy. So it was, it was very difficult. um, But I also knew that it was just in my marrow, something that I needed to do. Did you find there was, and and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story from my end and get you to comment on it from, from your perspective and all of the moms that you've worked with. But I know um, my wife at the time, she, she really, she was in corporate, like, you know, corporate job, mover and shaker kind of thing. And then all of a sudden all that stops. Yeah. Right. And all of that, um, that part of her identity is suddenly not there anymore. And now she has limited adult interaction, which I think you're going to get to when you start talking about the importance of moms connecting together. Uh, And then I remember her having a trigger, triggers that people would ask her, you know, at six months or nine months or whenever, you know, hey, so are you going back to work? Mm -hmm. And she took that very personally, like, hey, this is like, no, not yet. And, you know, we worked on this thing, like, how could she take the power back and have a response that made her feel good, that, uh, that reinforced her, you know, I was like, no, like, this is the most challenging job I've ever done, and the most rewarding thing I've ever been, I've ever experienced. So like, Mm -hmm. this is my work right now. And I'll go back when I'm, when I feel like my work here is done. Right. Did you experience anything kind of like that as you were kind of navigating your whole piece? Yeah, I did. It, you know, for me, it was um, with that first child, like you were talking about with your wife, that's kind of working all up until that time that you actually deliver the baby. And then, and then it's almost like you just hit a wall and, and, and there's no manual. There's, you know, you're, you're healing, you're, you're, well, you're leaking. Um, and you're, you're trying to just, you know, stay awake and keep this child alive for some moms with their own body. And, and it's just, this moment of what it, what has just happened? Who am I? Um, and then when the outside world starts to have their opinions as well about going back to work or, or the opposite, you actually are going to go back to work. Don't you think you should be home raising your children? Sure. Yeah. You know? Um, and then that inner conflict and you know, the moment that child is born, so is mom guilt. And I'd like to say it lessens, but it just changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, that feeling of trying to do everything, but not feeling like you're doing anything really well. So now as you, you, you know, you're, you're pushing your stroller around and you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a great idea. And you've connected with stroller strides and you start this business. How, and you just mentioned where like, I dragged us back a second, but I wanted to sort of frame up what we're talking about now. And you, you pointed out specifically the importance of, yeah, the exercise was an important piece, but 
an almost an arguably more important piece of having moms together doing it within their own community. Mm-hmm. And how does all of the stuff we just finished talking about, how does that inform the vision of what Fit for Mom was going to be like when you talked about it? Here's what I want to create. Mm-hmm. You talked briefly about the one is more than just exercise. Can you elaborate on some of that? In terms of the business piece of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, to, to be honest and um, fully transparent, it was, it was, it was a shock to me, even though I was the one living it that, you know, I had been fitness driven for so long. I've been an athlete. I've been not competitive, but in my mind, competitive athlete. Yeah. And so for me, it was about the workout. It was about the safety and the efficacy of this workout. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's funny to me that it took a, a minute for me to go, wait a second, this actually isn't, it, it's part of the model, but it's not the model. The model is creating a safe space for moms to to step out, to stop circling the proverbial drain and and connect and, and mostly to realize that they're not alone. And the thoughts they have, the fears they have, the emotions that seem out of their control are the same that are, you know, in this woman that's down the street. And how wonderful to get together, not just to connect emotionally, but then to do things to move their bodies, mm. to help them maybe come out of postpartum blues or to realize that they're not alone in this in this journey and you know the 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 phrase that it takes a village to raise a child is not it's no joke you know that's how children used to be raised is that moms would gather and they'd raise their children together and for some reason over time that we all started to kind of go into our separate houses and feel as if we had to do this alone and go it alone and that's not how we're meant to be especially um, when you're raising kids so we soon realized that things like having um, a formal play group afterwards was important. Yeah, it was great because you could do things with the kids, but it was a chance for moms to, after their workout, to sit around and talk and laugh and maybe cry about just everyday stuff that they felt like they were going mad over right. when it was, just, it was just part of motherhood. So that was, that was a huge part of it was the village or community. So it sounds like equal part support group and mm-hmm training class at the yeah. same time. Like, I mean, hey, here's a healthy way for us to health a healthy environment for us to be yeah. the support group that's actually going to, you know, help support the support, so to speak. It was it was creating connections and fitness was the vehicle. It was just what we did to get these moms together. And, you know, huge benefit was how they felt and the way that they moved and their postural benefits of caring for their children. So now you have a very unique definition of motherhood, which, <laughs> yeah. um, which I'd love for you to, to say, because I've, I've, one, I think it's incredibly accurate, and, but, but two, just different. Can you uh, um, recite that one? We'll go from there. Yeah. Um, motherhood happens asymmetrically in um, non-conventional positions with ever-increasing non-compliant load. That's about it. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I love the ever-increasing non-compliant load part for anyone who's, who's dealt with <laughs> infant, trying, to, trying to hurl themselves out of your arm. Um, <laughs> At first. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so as you're, I mean, that's your definition of motherhood to begin with, and we'll continue on in a minute. Can you tell me about your approach in as you were developing programming Mm-hmm. And you're working with uh, working with these new moms or expectant moms, both, I suppose, right. but mostly new moms within the uh, within the I would imagine, and that's this that, that's conjecture on my part. So correct me if I'm wrong. 
within stroller strides and then afterwards you had a brand change to fit for mom i think mm -hmm. um what was your training approach to to working with that with this basically you know specialized population i think more than anything it was truly understanding uh the changes that the body goes through um, during pregnancy and how when that baby is born she's still she's still holding on to said changes mm -hmm. um they don't just your body doesn't go back to where it was. And the, and the physical job of taking care of a child, as you know, being a, being a dad, is, is very unique. Um, you, your body is responding to their ever-increasing load every single day, and then they start to move, right? So then there's reactionary movement patterns. There's um, uh, need for the, that asymmetric, um, um, unpredictable load. And so really looking at the movement patterns as a mom progresses through her journey, through her child growing up, mm -hmm. uh, it, it dictates a certain way of a certain type of programming that allows for that, you know, a lot of sort of anti-rotation or anti-flexion because of the load that's erratic. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, coming up with programming that, that answered those needs was exciting because then it armed, you know, just like you train an athlete for a specific sport, that sport is motherhood. And so, you know, cr training at a level where when she is asked to then get off the bench and come in and, and take care of her kiddo, she's already practiced those movement patterns at a higher level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the confidence that she has just physically and then the, and energetically is just really cool to see as she's navigating parenthood. What do you feel are the biggest mistakes that people are making you know, as they're either getting ready physically, we can, we can leave what they're doing with relationships aside. That's another <laughs> conversation another time. <laughs> but, but physically, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that people are making, A, as they approach, you know, in, as they're dealing with their pregnancy, and then as they, as they deal with, uh, with the aftermath? I think one of the biggest mistakes is pulling back on intensity. So, for example, in a healthy pregnancy, it's recommended that a woman uh, if she had been an athlete or had been working out, that she maintains that level if she feels okay. Most women um, statistically have been pulling back on the amount of exercise they do and in the intensity. And so um, it makes recovery, or actually labor and delivery more difficult, or it can, and it can also make recovery um, a bit slower. And then the lack of attention on core strength. You know, there's been there's so many myths and misconceptions around, you know, either don't work your core because uh, you know, you'll somehow harm the baby or don't work your core because it's useless. It, there's no point, you know? Um, mm. and, and people find themselves really far back after having baby when they don't address, they don't address the core. And I think one of the biggest mistakes in coming back is assuming that your body will perform the way it did prior to becoming pregnant. It's important for everyone, trainers included, especially actually, um, that this is a new body. It doesn't mean that it's less than. It means that it's undergone so many changes, more changes in my nine months than a man's will in his entire lifetime. So honor those changes. Despite what a lot of trainers think, burpees aren't for everybody and burpees especially aren't for someone who's just delivered a child. So, you know, just honoring that, but also not tiptoeing around um, that she's weak now that she's had a baby, but rather it's, she's just different. So honoring those changes is something that I, I would encourage. Um, I can completely identify, uh, you know, I've had uh, a significant surgery a few years ago where I found I had a, an aneurysm in my sitting aorta and, and, you know, post open heart surgery where they 
saw you open, pry you apart, fix what he's doing, and all of a sudden, and the year of kind of waiting to get to that on the other side, I remember being very frustrated and, and in some ways at first very angry yeah. in that I couldn't do the stuff that I used to be able to do. And, and, and again, I'm telling this story to try and align it back to, to what, to what you did. You know, I ended up in a spot where you have to accept wherever it happens. You have to, you have to be self-loving. You have to accept, Hey, here's where I am at this moment. You don't have to like it, but you have to accept it and, and, and honor where you are. And then you can be diligent about saying, yeah, this is not the new me. I'm going to get back to wherever it is that, that I'm going to go. But is there that kind of mindset and how do you integrate that in with the coaching? Cause it sounds like you're doing as much psychological and mindset coaching in these environments as you are, you know, we're going to do this, you know, this many repetitions of this stroller movement or whatever. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, you've been around women. We're complicated. And I would never say that. You you can. It's not a negative. <laughs> <laughs> We're complicated. And when you train women just in general, um, you have to start with the head um, and 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 have an emotive connection um, before you're going to get full um, engagement with what she's going to do in, in the in the session. So. Uh, specifically for moms, it's really um, coaching her through, I should be fill in the blank. I should um, be fitting in my pants that I wore prior, which by the way, I brought my pre-pregnancy jeans to the hospital and I delivered Sullivan my first, thinking that's what I was going to want. Okay. So that was awesome. Sending my husband home to get my sweatpants so that I could go home. But yeah, I should. I should weigh this amount. I should be able to run this fast. I should be able to run. I should be able to do a sit-up. Um, and so really coaching these women through, you know, stop shooting on yourself. Uh, take that word out of your vocabulary. It's not necessary. Honor your body, honor what it has done. Thank your body for what it has done. You grew a human being past that said human being through some orifice in your body and now need to keep it alive. So thank your body for that. You know, and you were talking about the space that you were in, Fraser, about your, your surgery and you know, we, we tend to go to can'ts versus what can I do? Mm-hmm. What is my body able to do right now? And do that and celebrate that. And mm-hmm. it's okay to want more. It's okay to want to get better. But for a moment, don't you ever discredit what you can do in this moment and not, you know, and do it. Take advantage of the body that you have and what it can do. Absolutely. And that's exactly where I, I mean, yeah, from my perspective, that's exactly where I ended up. Like, I, I can do this, and so I'll do that. Right. And then tomorrow I'll test and see if I can do this. Nope, nope, can't do that yet. Okay, we'll back up and we'll continue right. to do some of this. So what are the challenges in education for training with population? I mean, one, sounds like there's a lot of education going into the people that you're working with. Like if I'm a person who's working with new moms or poor expecting moms, there's one education I have to deliver to them. Part of it sounds like psychological mindset based, some of it physical. Uh, And then also there sounds to me like there's a lot of different sources. And I knew I have had this conversation before, lots of misinformation or it may not even be misinformation, but it's so overcautious that um, because, you know, different organizations are trying to cover themselves and they certainly don't want to be, you know, we live in an age of lawsuits. Yeah. And so you want to give good information, 
but you also real information. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about some of the challenges in education for this population on, on both levels, both from the professional and from the consumer? I know that's a huge question. But it, yeah, it's, it's a good one though. It's a really good one. I think I'll start with the, the professional side of it, and that is that, you know, I completely understand that trainers are nervous, that they don't want to take on this population specifically with regard to, I don't want to mess up. Um, you know, what if I do something wrong? Where there, where I would lean in is if you are in any way interested in, in training a pregnant woman, training a woman who's had a baby, and you get that right, um, your business is going to boom. So this like having babies thing is not really like a trend. You and if you, it's not going no, away? No, it's weird. I've seen it over time. There's a consistency to it. Um, and so, you know, from a business standpoint, learning the, the um, proper way just for efficacy and safety to train a pregnant woman and then also into her life postpartum is, is there's a lot of potential. Where, where I see when I, when I present at fitness conferences, the maj vast majority of the people that come to my session are women. It's, a, it's an unfortunate. I think that they all connect because most of them are probably moms. Um, but there are so many men that could have such an incredible impact on these women's lives if they, if they had the proper education. And, you know, the, the impact that they have is not just on the woman's life, it's on the child's life too, right? Because if a woman is moving differently, chances are the... the kids are going to emulate what mom is doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, finding the most current research in the U.S., it's ACOG, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They have some really progressive and, and um, current research. So, you know, finding out what those guidelines are is important. There are courses all over that, um, that trainers can take, but it's, it's that trepidation that stops them. So I just want to encourage that there's a need for uh, trainers, coaches, group fitness instructors to know this population and not be afraid of the population. Like I said before, a woman growing a, a child is an athlete just, in, just by nature. Uh, so can you imagine if you empowered her with a stronger body and a stronger mind, what she could do? <laughs> so if I'm wanting to target this population yes. in my own business, because, you know, Carol Ruska told me that, oh my goodness, I can, I can totally set myself up as a trainer and there's this huge, yes. this, this, this subpopulation is not going anywhere and, and uh, I can be really effective. What's the best pathway for me to take? I mean, you mentioned ACOG as a, as a great resource, but in terms of certifications, experiences, mentorship, where would you point me? Uh, I would start with just a base certification. Um, I know that there are specialty certifications that are out there. Of course, you know, going to some of the bigger certifying bodies are important, the most credible mm -hmm. ones. And then also I would see about getting a mentorship in some way with a um, like a prenatal physiotherapist or you know someone who works with that population specifically and kind of understanding the nuances of the changes to the you know structural changes uh, musculoskeletal changes that happen but just to be a sponge just to do everything within your power to learn as much as you can about this population uh, your credibility is very important not just for you your career but for in the eyes of these moms that are trusting their journey with you. So you mentioned mentorship. Um, we can shift gears a little bit. Can, can you tell me like who are the people in, in your life that uh, have acted as mentors for you that have made a big impact? Hmm. You. Oh, well, thank you. That's bullshit. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
Hear your friendship has been a, a type of mentorship for me over the years. Oh, you're sweet. Um, it has. Um, you know, Amy Thompson has been a big factor in my life. You know, she she joined us at Stroller Strides as uh, COO before she had kids, mm. which I have a lot of stories about that because it's pretty funny about how she viewed the way that we should be working as moms before she became a mom. It was great. And then, you know, her coming into motherhood and then going into various other roles in the fitness industry and just sort of watching how she navigated herself, both professionally and as a mom. And now, you know, her role at Idea, like she's just has been one that I've, I've looked to for, you know, insight and, and, you know, inspiration professionally and personally should be a big one for me. Is there a, is when you look at, um, when you, or think about mentors or mentorship, is there is there a process that you go through as you're like searching out a mentor or do they just kind of, do they just kind of come into your life faith-based? Um, you know, I haven't had, you know, in terms of a process to se mm -hmm. seek those out. I think that I, I highly encourage it. I just don't know if I could, you know, dictate or draw out what that process would look like. I think that we, you know, connect to people that we are obviously that challenge us, that engage us, that, that show us different ways of doing things. I think that oftentimes we, gravitate towards mentors or or people in our lives that are very similar to ourselves and i think there's a lot to be learned if we can gravitate towards somebody who might challenge your way of thinking mm -hmm. or challenge sure. your um your approach uh not to say that that would be how you change it but I, if we just continually bring in people or things or thoughts that that uh validate what we've all always been thinking we're not ever going to get to the place where we can you know make shifts and get better and so seek for the like actually look for the alternative opinion yeah. and then seek to understand it. Exactly. I, well, I think our world could use that right now. Actually. A little bit. So speaking of our world, because that segues beautifully into what I want to talk about now. I mean, right now, obviously, the world and certainly in the industry, we're in the midst of, of great change, uh, lots of transition, uh, mm -hmm. a redefinition of sorts. Mm -hmm. Now, your firstborn is 20 years old. Mm -hmm. You said you kind of first started pushing your stroller around with, with ideas of grandeur probably a year after that period as you moved to San Diego. But a couple of years ago, you transitioned away from Fit for Mom. And I know, you know, having been close to you for a long time, that was very, very challenging. Can you talk a little bit about just that process of being, hey, this thing that I built, mm -hmm. I'm now, you know, not going to be part of. So how do I shift because yeah. and the reason I ask this question is because I think a lot of people are are in the midst of this giant shift as a, I mean, as really a global community and, and definitely as a fitness community. Can you talk about your process with that and kind of what you learned, what you do again if you were faced with a similar thing? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, now you're the director of, of education and culture at Choose Fitness, but, you know, that didn't emerge right away. So how, how do you bridge that gap? How do you right. go through that psychologically and then with it as a process? Well, it's so interesting because when I looked at it, um, looking back, you know, I, I had that identity crisis or shift when I became a mom. And then, you know, my, my motherhood journey ran parallel with my, my fitness journey with Stroller Strides and Fit for Mom. And so it was like this whole new identity that I got into for 16, 17 years. Um, and sometimes when you stay in something um, very specific for a period of time, you start to believe that that is who you are and that your work is your identity. Uh, and you start to, as much as I believed that I was doing such great things for all, you know, these moms, I really started to feel like the, the 
the future kind of felt narrow to me. Uh, and so, you know, recognizing that, you know, when you can kind of bring your head up and look around, there's this big, beautiful world out here, and there's a lot of work to be done that your specific skill set could match. And as much as, um, at least right now, it can feel really scary to think of doing something different, it has also, you know, kind of opened things up to see the world in a different way. And so there are a lot of opportunities. In fact, the world's expecting people to pivot. I hate that word because we keep using it. But the world's expecting that now because we have to in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our clubs in California right now, we're, we're, we got the word that we might be opening in the next few days, but at 10% capacity. So how do we get all these people that were in this, you know, space to do we open up to the parking lot? Like we just have to start thinking differently. We have to start thinking of what are some other ways that my gifts can serve the world and my gifts can serve this industry because it, it, gets really scary when you start to keep the blinders on or believe that this is only what you've done because it's only what you can do because this is what you've done. We have to innovate. And so in that moment when I was realizing I have to spread my wings, it was, it's almost like when you, when you admit to yourself that there's something else out there or you want something else and put it out to the world, things start to open up. And that's when I met, you know, two of the founders of, of Choose Fitness and, and it all kind of went from there. So you talk about, taking your skill set and, and you know, we have to be innovative and I have to like, what can I do in this moment that's different and reimagine it? What are some of those things? Can you give me some specifics of the way you're looking at your, yeah, I'm talking to you. I mean, I don't, I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean like, Oh, there's maybe this and maybe that, like what are the things that you've arrived at for yeah. yourself? Well, it was interesting because you know, my focus in my, in my head around what I was doing with fit for mom was, was still very exercise based, right? So it was, you know, pre postnatal fitness driven. And when I started to kind of think about, you know, this, this next step, it was actually Amy Thompson that helped me sort of take a look at what else I had been doing. She's, you know, thinking like, you realize you grew a business, you realize you created programming, you realize you've delivered said programming, you realize that you've managed a group of instructors, you've then now managed nationally instructors in their education and and how they interact with moms that you've you've coached and counseled like she started to sort of like look at all the things that i had done mm-hmm. um building culture throughout an organization that that i don't know if i intentionally set out to do and yet that, that's what happened in the process and so i started to look at you know, what are all the things that i do that have nothing to do with that in pre and postnatal fitness specifically but even mm-hmm. in like coaching and training and all of a sudden, I started to see myself in a different space and re- recognizing that I have this whole set of you know, characteristics or, or experiences that I can now apply in a different setting. It was very uh, freeing to start to see that way. And it, and it took a little nudging. Well, I mean, nudging is important now and yes. again. So yes. when we think about education, because we're talking, so you just mentioned specifically the idea of education and culture, which is appropriate considering that that is you know two of the important words within your title uh, yes. currently at choose <laughs> how do you how do you think about obviously there's a lot of education change demands education mm-hmm. because all of a sudden there's new things to learn new problems to solve right how are you approaching you know education at at choose like what is your process of education development making sure that it's landing mm-hmm. making sure that it serves and and also for people listening as they're choosing, like, which is, there's a million different directions to turn. How do they choose? 
around right. education. There's that's like a five part question. But, it is. Um, it is. But I'm getting I'm getting your pattern so far. <laughs> with with regard to education, I have we have so many arms of education within within choose. So we have you know obviously our fitness education, and then also you know directing our trainers and coaches towards outside education as well. But we also have an internal approach, and that is around more of education around uh, how are we showing up as humans in the work that we're doing? How are we showing up for the people that are walking through our doors? How are we showing up for each other? What's blocking you from um, from recognizing the kind of potential impact you could have um, if you just didn't let whatever it is get in your way. So it's a lot of like you know, human connection, a lot of recognizing the kind of potential we have to change the lives on our team, but also um, in our communities. So more than anything, I would say, look at everything that you're doing in, in, in every way that you can possibly impact somebody's life, whether you're a trainer, whether you're you know running an establishment and and try not to again have those blinders on where I just need to train my coaches in you know the updated fitness guidelines. Well, no, you also need to sort of talk, train them on how are they showing up for people. You need to train them on their communication style. Like there are so many ways that you can create a greater impact in the industry outside of just reps and sets. So you know, looking you're saying at it, showing up for people. Can you yes. can you tell me specifically what you mean by that? I mean, I think I know, but but yeah. Uh, how, how are you carrying yourself? How are you shining a light in their lives so that they feel that they matter, that they feel that they're important, they feel worthy? Um, I think that, you know, now more than ever, we're having a lot of conversations around that. You know, are you showing up saying, here I am, or are you showing up saying, there you are? As a human, what kind of contributions are you pouring into this person that's in front of you? Because, you know, it's... It, you can robotically deliver a, a very successful program. However, it's it's not going to change that person that's in front of you very much. So there's an interesting parallel between what you started doing at Fit for Mom, which was, hey, I'm trying to get trying to get myself fit, and then, ooh, this is great. There's got to be other moms like me. I'm going to get them fit too, and then started to understand through that process that, well, you know what? Probably even more important than this is this human piece where the support group that we talked about a little bit earlier and the and the and the play group which is really let's all sit around the kids can play with each other and, and we can talk and support one another and because yeah. we can't talk as much when we're pushing this damn stroller up the hill because we're <laughs> out of breath etc exactly. and then you're talking now we fast forward that to what you're doing now and it's yeah we could teach you hey here's what the cleaning schedule is going to be and here's how we're going to admit people in and out and and here's the sets and reps and the technical piece of what we're going to do to make sure we're delivering a great experience. But the first thing you went to was, again, the cultural piece, which is uh, part of it's built into the culture, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what are we doing on the human side to make the experience special? Right. Um, I, that's, a, that's an interesting parallel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is simple and it's, it's something that I wish that we all could operate from. And that is, you know, we, we're all humans having a human condition and, and all of us right now, whatever that condition was at our home, at our baseline is, is amplified. Um, and when we can authentically connect, when we can intentionally look at somebody in their eyes and, and make a moment about them and make a moment about celebrating who they are and 
um, the fact that they walk through our doors. That, that to me is the most important piece because mm-hmm. then they're going to feel empowered to do something with their day to maybe turn around and do that to somebody else. And can you imagine the ripple effect? If, if that's all we did, you know, um, I celebrate the fact when people walk in our, our clubs and I'm like, Hey, what, what are you going to do? What's what's workout today? I'm like, I'm going to grab a smoothie and I'm going to hit the massage chair and then I'm out like right on. Like, awesome. Yeah. You actually carved out some time for you to just take care of yourself. You you're winning, um, you know, to authentically communicate in those, you know, really supportive ways. I think that that's what the world needs. So how would you describe the culture that you're trying to build at Choose? If you were to sum it up. People first, you know, that people are going to gravitate towards a, an energy and environment where they feel not just accepted, but celebrated. When you can nail that, not just put it in a mission statement, not just put it on the walls of your corporate office, not just put it on your whatever, whatever email signature you have. But when you can figure that out and, and do it day in, day out for thousands and thousands and thousands of people, you're going to be successful. And again, I, I think I could put that in any, any industry, but I think the fitness industry is something that needs it the most. So, I mean, I think that's an, that's an amazing vision. It's hard to do. Well, so, so that's, so that's what I'm getting. If I've got, and, and, you know, certainly at, at TRX, we developed a culture and part of it was on mm. purpose and part of it was accidental and it ended up, right. you know, really being built off the values of, of myself and Randy and others. But, um, as, as you think about creating culture, whatever it happens to be, it's, it's one thing, as you said, to say it, put in your email signature, write it on the wall, whatever. How do you actually put it into action and then kind of more challenging scale it mm-hmm. so that it's, it is actually becomes a culture. Cause one thing to say, Hey, this is a vision. There's a step, probably a lot of steps that, that go between vision and culture mm-hmm. where the rest of the world, the rest of the people interacting with your brand believes in it. How do you look at that process whereby, you know, someone who's developing their own culture and their own business could be like, Oh yeah that's really cool. That's how I can infuse what I believe. Cause really a culture is a belief system. Absolutely. I believe culture starts with understanding why you're doing what you're doing. Why do you, why do you thrive to exist in whatever space you're in? And the why isn't, it oftentimes is tied to what you do, but the why transcends that it's, it's what is, what is in your, what's the fire in your gut that's causing you to want to do this day in, day out. And then once that why is established, it has to be articulated in 10 different ways, you know, by your actions, by your words, by your interactions. And the way that you can continually perpetuate this culture of why you started what you you did is to be mindful of the stories that are around us, the transformations that are around us that that happen because of your why and, and bring them to light. So for example, you know, there are so many people that we've, connected with that our members of choose that we've said, tell us your story. Why do you keep coming back here? Um, and we are, we're uncovering these incredible, mostly not physical transformations. The physical was the, was the, you know, icing on the cake, if you will, but it was more of changes that happened, you know, becoming a better mom or dad, or, you know, finding a different job, you know, moving to a new environment. It's one gentleman, I'll just share the story with you real quickly. 
he, he made a statement that shoes had saved his life. And, you know, I think we hear that a good bit in the fitness industry, which is really beautiful. And, and I, and I honor that this guy was absolutely, he meant it specifically. So Mm -hmm. he lived across the highway from one of our locations. And the day before he came in to join, he was standing at the ledge of his window, deciding if he was going to jump out of his apartment. And for some and he reason, saw choose across the road. He didn't see it. Thought, at that I'm just joking. I'm sorry. It's a terrible thing to joke okay. about. But. It's okay. He, for some reason, decided that that day wasn't, it wasn't the day. And the next day he did come in to choose. And he said, I remember, he's like, no, this wasn't true. But I remember there being like confetti cannons and slow motion and music. And people were like, yeah, that it's just because they just celebrated him walking through the door and said, hey, how are you? Are you new here? La, la, la. And they just started talking to him. And he said, I, I hadn't been, I hadn't felt seen in years. I hadn't felt as if me being anywhere really mattered. And in a moment, these people were strangers. They had no idea where I was the day before. They had no idea where my headspace was. And it didn't matter. They celebrated me. And he started to have like this glimmer of like, maybe there's something to this. And we got to know him and knew his name and, and what he did and asked questions about, you know, things that were going on in his life. And you know, here he is, I think it's three years later, he's written a book, he, he credits that, that moment to where how he turned around and, and recognized that he had something in him that was bigger than what he thought. So, you know, again, it's, we're not the only answer for that, but it's, you never know the stories, you never know what's behind those eyes when someone walks through the door. What and an incredible so, story that is. It is. And, you know, these stories are around us in plain sight, Fraser, they really are. And, People don't wear their emotions or their stories on their sleeve. And so to ask people, you know, how are you? What's going on in your life? What, what can we do better? How can we impact your life more? And then as you scale to keep drawing the, connecting the dots back to that why. Like, that's why we're doing this. Did you guys see that? That's why when you look somebody in the eye and you say hello, that's what, the, what change it could, you know, be. And so, so you're utilizing your member stories to get the person who's working part-time at the front desk to believe the same as what you would believe. Absolutely. They have to know that they are part of what we're up to. They have to understand the bigger picture and they have to understand what part they play in that and that it's a crucial part. Um, every single person on that team needs to, needs to really get that they are, they are one of the nuts and the bolts that put the plane together to make it fly because without that it could it you know and so what like, are the mechanisms that you use to actually create that because i mean i think that's um you know like having shared values shared beliefs uh, part of it's recruiting uh-huh right like recruiting the right people who have those shared beliefs because if someone just believes something different right then that's 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 a hard transition so in part of what you're talking about i believe and i'm not trying to put you know, words in your mouth or anything, kind of, kind of pull it together. So part of it is recruiting. And then once you have, you know, the people in front of you who you think have the, okay, you've got the core values that align with what we're trying to do as a company and testing for that within the, within the recruiting process, then how do you socialize those stories and then integrate it in and align them with, Because that to me seems like the crux. If you're going to scale that across, you know, 10, 20, 100, 1,000 people Mm -hmm. uh, to believe the same thing. Right. Well, we believe pretty intently on increased connections with our teams. So when they come on, they go through an orientation. Um, Obviously, now it's going to be something uh, virtual, but an orientation that really grounds them in 
into uh, you are important, you're a powerful piece of this of this puzzle, mm -hmm. uh, and here's why. And then about 90 days into their employment, we take them out of the club and do a full day. We just call it one culture training, and we take them from every department, fitness, operations, maintenance, um, across the board, and, and we spend a day talking about um, cognitive modification. We spend a day talking about awareness and how you're showing up for people, and not just at Choose, but in your life. You know, and, and the power of connection um, and, and do a little like self-reflection on, on what might be holding you back right now. And we just dive deep into all of those things. And it's something that we can keep coming back to and, and talking about through their time with us. We also have monthly meetings where I, I curate or, or collect um, stories where I, you know, learn of different members that might have had a change in their life or, you know, somehow we are a part of their transformation. And I also solicit um, employee stories of what their why is. And I share that every single month, a new testimonial from a member and a new one from an employee, um, just to keep people tied into emotionally why we're doing what we're doing. The, the what and the how is easy to teach, but the what and the how is only gonna get you so far. If, you, if we're not driven to emotionally connect to why we're doing what we're doing, it, it's not gonna, we're not gonna go very far. That's an awesome way to sort of almost close out. So there's a, there's a thing I like to do towards the end, and this has been an incredible conversation. I really enjoyed every bit of it. Um, I call it five and five. Okay. You can stretch to 10, but um, five and five is just relatively quick, short answers targeted at you. Uh, the yeah. first one, what are you most excited about or focused on in your own training right now? I am mostly focused on um, my running and getting my miles back up. Um, that is my self-care and that's my meditation. And I've been working so hard that I haven't put enough time into getting my miles in. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So you're working to get your miles up just because that's, that's kind of your, your happy place where you, you're exactly. not, you don't have a you know, race yeah. in mind or anything like that. You're, just trying, no, you're just trying no, to go further. It's self-care. Very cool. Who are you currently inspired by or what are you currently inspired by? Right now, I'm I'm massively inspired by the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, work that's happening um, that I'm tied into in our into our industry. Um, the leaders that I've met in that space have been tremendous. Um, I'm on the uh, DEI committee for IDEA right now, um, and um, also driving that conversation and education and awareness in Choose as well. So I'm I'm most inspired by that work. How are you approaching that work? More than anything, asking questions and, and being quiet and listening, um, seeking to understand, to recognize places where um, we can do better um, as a company and as an industry, looking for unconscious bias that may exist within our, within our industry. Mm -hmm. We all have them. So, um, you know, what are the biggest ones? What are the ones we can tackle right away? I'm excited by it. It's it's big. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's Absolutely. a lot of yeah. And there's a lot of really deep tissue work that needs to be done. Um, but I'm I'm challenged and excited for that work. Awesome. Yeah. So you've got the whole day to yourself. Hmm. No no responsibilities whatsoever. What are you gonna do? Where am I? Wherever you want to be. Oh. <laughs> It's a good thing about this this question. I like it. Well, I'm 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 in Tahiti. Okay. 
Yeah. I like it already. Okay. Um, probably some stand-up paddleboard. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely some like single man canoeing. Um, when you say single man canoeing. One person canoeing. But just so you're in the canoe. It's not like with a single man. No. <laughs> okay. I just want to double check that. <laughs> Myself. <laughs> alone in a canoe. <laughs> um, eating like all the fresh fruit on the, on the island. Maybe some wine. Uh, fair enough. Does that count as fresh fruit? So. Yes, it does. Um, so does that integrate your greatest physical passions? Mm-hmm. The paddling yeah. piece? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely being in the ocean is, is a type of church for me. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're really just partway into this from a career perspective. Yeah. Is, is this your life's work? What's next? I honestly don't know what's next. I have so much that's like right here in front of me, but I think making an impact, whether it's a physical impact or a mental and emotional impact on the humans that surround me, I think that's my life's work in whatever fashion or form that, that comes in. Uh, I'm just in this new chapter and I will see where it goes. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the TRX Procast. As a thank you, we'd like to offer you 30 days of free access to the TRX Training Club, which features hundreds of amazing workouts with some of the best trainers in the world. Get your access by the link in the episode description below.